Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today's episode is going to expand you in so many beautiful ways. I speak with Jasmine Nena, a spiritual philosopher and the founder of Era Society. Jazz is a practitioner of human design, astrology, and the gene keys, and she creates beautiful spaces that support creatives, entrepreneurs, and Renaissance humans in understanding themselves more holistically. She's also the host of the globally celebrated podcast, Counterculture. In today's episode, Jazz and I explore human design and how it relates to food and digestion. As Jazz describes, human design is the study of our unique selves. Through understanding how our bodies and minds best function, we can gain more authority and sovereignty over our lives. Jazz discusses the determination or digestion variable in human design, which refers to the way in which we best take in, process, and absorb not only food, but also information and energy. She explains how when we feed ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually in a way that best supports our design, we can better access our full potential. There are six different variables of digestion in human design, and everybody falls into one. The variables are appetite, taste, thirst, touch, sound, and light. And each of these variables has two different aspects. For instance, I'm a quote-unquote light eater, and I'm indirect. And this doesn't have anything to do with how much I eat, but rather how digestion is influenced by the time of day. This can get a little confusing, but I have a full guide to all of the variables in the newsletter, so definitely hop over there and reference the guide while listening. I will link to that in the show notes. Now, Jazz goes further to say, if we ignore the signals of the body or perhaps don't feed ourselves in a way that best suits our design, then these things can manifest as illness. Jazz shares her own personal experience with eczema and how she was able to heal only after getting to the emotional root of the symptoms. This conversation was so expanding and nourishing. There is so much power that we have when we really get to know ourselves. I've linked to all of the sources that we discuss in this episode if you want to dive into human design further. As always, if this work resonates with you or inspires you, a really easy way that you can support it is by rating the podcast on your podcast app, leaving a comment, or sharing it with friends. Thank you so much for your support. All right, my friends, let's dive in. Welcome, Jazz. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is feels like a long time coming. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm going to start with the first question that I ask all of my guests so we can get to know you a little bit better. What is your cultural upbringing and how has that influenced your relationship to food? Great question. So I am first generation American. I was raised in a Nigerian household. Both of my parents are Nigerian. And food, obviously, like music and clothing and, you know, so many different aspects is a huge part of our culture mm. and how we express ourselves, how we gather, how we connect, how we heal. 
how we celebrate. Food is always, always the center. And my parents are from different tribes. My mom is Yoruba and my dad is Igbo. And so we always had a melding of the two kind of food families, some things that I think other first generation Nigerians maybe wouldn't have experienced because it's not very common for people outside of tribes to marry. Mm. Like you marry within your own tribe. And so my parents did the rebellious thing and got married to each other. And that created a household where we would have traditional Yoruba dishes, traditional Igbo dishes. Sometimes we would mix them. Sometimes my mom would make a feast with a bunch of different ones. And so funny because I was just thinking about this this morning as my husband was making breakfast for our kids. One of my favorite morning breakfast dishes was plantain, scrambled eggs, and this tomato sauce that my mom would make, almost like a stew. We call it Mm. stew. And that was like breakfast. Sometimes we wouldn't have eggs and we would just put the stew on the toast and you would just eat stew and toast. (laughs) So it really opened my imagination to blending things that Mm. maybe you wouldn't necessarily think Mm -hmm. would go together to create your own kind of experimental taste experience. I'm really grateful as I reflect on my upbringing now being older. Obviously didn't really understand it back then when other kids would be like, what are you eating? Mm -hmm. And I would bring my lunch to school and they'd be like, that stinks. What are you eating? (laughs) You know, but now I've grown up and I just realize I'm so grateful for those experiences. What were some of the flavors that feel like childhood to you? Oh my goodness. Salty and savory was Mm. always like a mixture, Hmm. always salty and savory, a little bit of sour and salty. So Mm. we have a lot of sour and salty dishes. And then we eat everything around soups, like veggie soups, goat soups, goat curries, oxtail stew. And then we will eat something like a cassava Mm. where you ground it up. Mm. It's called fufu and you eat it with the soup. So all of our soup dishes are around, you know, what the farmer was growing in that season, what they were butchering in that season, and then the vegetables that were in that season as well. So it's always with a yam, always with some sort of spinach situation, okra, or Americans call it okra. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, (laughs) you cut it up and you can make these soups. I mean, it was always a vegetable-based soup just based off of the climate of Nigeria, the farming, agriculture of that country. And it's so interesting because I know we're going to be talking about determination Mm -hmm. today. And I think back and I just see how clearly, I guess, growing up in that household really supported my determination, which is quite the opposite of what I see a lot of people that I talk to. I interviewed a friend and chef, Samantha Senevratnik, her family's from Sri Lanka. And she found that she just wanted to eat American food. Her parents were cooking traditional Mm. Sri Lankan food. Did you have any of that within your own upbringing or did you just embrace all of the Nigerian flavors? I mean, I think all first generation kids wanted Mm -hmm. to have the American flavor. I think when you're kind of like the oddball or the odd one out at school, you almost don't want anything to do with your culture at that age. Like you just want to fit in or not really be noticed, especially Mm -hmm. not wanting to be made fun of or bullied. But I mean, my parents are pretty flexible. They were never, you know, you can't eat this or you'll go hungry kind of thing. 
you know, we had like Friday night pizza nights. Mm -hmm. So there was always room for the American side of our culture as well. I just remember when I would come home from college and my mom would like order Chinese and stuff. I'd be like, I don't want this. Can you make some really good? <laughs> I don't want any more. That's all I'm eating at school. Yeah. Okay, I don't want any more of this takeout, any more of this pizza. I want traditional Nigerian food. And even a few years ago, she came and visited us in Bali and I didn't cook for like two months and every single day she just made all of my favorite oh. things and like stored it in the freezer. It was oh. it was amazing. 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 <laughs> so, Jazz, can you describe in your words what it is you do? Because what you do is so expansive. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I know you hate this question. <laughs> OK, let me see. Let me see. I am trying to get better at this because I do want people to have a reference point. I think that that's very trauma-informed to have shared language and, and how we can describe ourselves to others, but simultaneously not be so limiting, right? Because mm -hmm. we're multidimensional human beings and we have so many aspects of ourselves that we are probably constantly at war with, mm -hmm. trying to be like, oh, that doesn't fit in, so I can't have that part of me, or that doesn't fit in. So I would say right now, I spend most of my time sipping tea, contemplating, philosophizing, writing, speaking about self-awareness. I think mm. self-awareness is one of the most important things that we can spend our time doing. It cultivates a type of self-trust. Mm. So I shudder to say self-love because self-love is almost a result that we won't even realize that we're in self-love because it's already happening around us. But self-acceptance Self-confidence, self-trust, these are things that are more tangible with the hands, eyes, senses that we can actually cultivate and hold. Self-love is this very ethereal kind of spirit that just dances around us. And so we always try to grasp that, but we really can't do it. So I am just a huge advocate for self-awareness and any language or tool that can describe to us how we can more holistically step into personal awareness and relational awareness because that's all we kind of have. That's like all our we personal have. reality yeah. and <laughs> our reality with other people. You yeah. know, that's our entire lives. And everything can be distilled into those two buckets. Food, clothing, fashion, entertainment, mm -hmm. everything. There's only two mm -hmm. buckets, self-awareness and relational awareness. Every single thing. So I'm really just a huge advocate for understanding those two. Well, that's what I love about your work so much because you always are encouraging me to look deeper and to, I think, because we all want to feel safe within this very mm. conditioned society, it's very easy to stay within that conditioned, safe mm. space. But actually, when we get out of it and we find our unique path and our unique voice, while it's scary, there's so much freedom. That's that's where yes. we find the self-love. That's where the self-love comes to us. So I so appreciate everything you do. Yeah, thank you. This is the perfect segue into human design, which is really a philosophy for those who aren't familiar. It's all about self-awareness. Yes. How would you describe human design? Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful intro. Human design is actually called the science of differentiation. So people could claim it as a science. You know, science is ever changing. And I think that that's a really good place to put it. It's not a religion. It's not 
a spiritual philosophy, although there are spiritual principles and, and heavy spiritual influences within it, it's not a dogma. It's not a rule book. It's mm. a science. And science is meant to be experimented with, played with, kind of back and forth. Like you mm-hmm. respond, I respond. You respond, I respond. So it requires us to be breathing life into our human design experiment. It's not going to tell you what to do. It's just kind of giving you a soft landing spot when you do decide to take a deeper and closer look at yourself, how you're showing up with your family, with your kids, with your food, in your relationships, at your job, with your purpose, your passion, your identity. It can say so many things. And because it does this, you know, because it's so expansive, you could pretty much spend your entire life just studying yourself, mm. studying yourself. Like you're not even studying your kids, your partner, anyone else. And it will change your life if you let it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have firsthand experience with that. Of yeah. You know, I think all of these modalities, you know, astrology, human design, they just expose something within us that for me, it feels like this sensation of grace, like, oh, mm. yeah, that is me. I and it's that. and it's okay. <laughs> this is, this is just okay. So yeah. one aspect of human design that we're going to talk about today is the determination digestion aspect. And this really yeah. is how we take in food, but also energy, at least from my understanding. So can you describe that? What is that? Yeah, so determination slash digestion is part of the primary health system in human design. And it's not a diet. It's not a rule book or dogma like I mentioned. It's literally how we can best implement and get the most out of our health, our mental health. So like our brain health and our body health, our physical health. If you look at the human design chart, you'll see that there's a red side and a black side. So the red side is the design side and the black side is the personality side. So what we're talking about is the red side, the left side of the body graph or your chart. And the red side, it's almost like your hardware. Think of Mm -hmm. your body and your brain as your hardware and the black side, the personality side as a software that's running within the hardware. It's going to be really hard for the software to run at its optimal level. Just like if you were to download a Logic or Adobe Creative Suite on your hardware computer, if you have viruses and all different types of things in your physical hardware computer, the software is not going to run well. Mm -hmm. So when we get caught up in, I don't know, I know there's a lot of talk around like the spiritual space around like killing the ego, which is absolutely absurd because the ego is the the software. Mm -hmm. Ego is the software. It's the thing that's allowing you to have separation between yourself and the other. It's the thing that's allowing you to feed yourself instead of the other when you're Mm. sitting down to eat dinner. Mm. So the ego is the software that's running. Now, when the ego takes control, that's when we start talking about, let's kill the ego. But you can't survive without ego. You would have no experience of life without ego. Ego is giving us the experience of life. Mm -hmm. It's allowing me to say, oh, I'm on a podcast recording right now with Nikki. That's my ego. That's that's giving me that information. And so I think we can get lost in our minds and begin to make decisions with our minds, with our ego personality software, without realizing what can be handled by the hardware. And so when we look at the determination and we look at the hardware, our bodies, 
we can now begin to make true decisions with our authority because our authorities live in our body and everyone's going to have a specific authority when they run their chart. Maybe they'll have gut sacral authority. Maybe Mm -hmm. they'll have splenic. Maybe they'll have emotional. Maybe they'll have self-projected. All of those things live in the body. But the majority of us make decisions in our mind. So Mm -hmm. we allow the ego to make the decisions and then we get upset later on when the experience or whatever doesn't work out. But it's like we've given all the power to the personality slash software to make those decisions. So when we kind of backtrack, because a lot of us didn't grow up with human design, it only came into existence in the late 80s, we can re... I want to say reprogram, we can decondition, however you'd like to put it, we can feel more into our body and feel more confident with our decision-making authority. That's Mm. the true purpose of determination and environment. And they kind of go hand in hand. You know, when you're feeding your brain, which is your determination, you want to be feeding it in your correct environment, which is your body. Yeah. So they go together. Yeah. Obviously, start wherever you can start. Start where it's most accessible. But we will really start to see things blossom and bloom when we have those two together. Mm. First of all, this isn't really about what foods to be eating. It's more about how we're intaking food. Do I have that right? Yeah. So there's six determinations. There's six binaries on the brain. So that's the top arrow if you're following us and you have your chart out. Mm -hmm. And some of them talk about what kinds of foods, like it's not going to tell you eat an apple instead of an orange. It'll just say eat fresh, eat local, eat Mm. simple ingredients, Mm -hmm. eat organic, you know, eat slower. And then the other ones will talk about certain conditions that are needed so that you can digest your food properly. Yeah. And the thing with digestion is that it's not just food, right? It's our environment. It's our people. We're digesting people. When you talk to someone, you're digesting them. Mm. You're eating them. You're eating their aura. They're eating yours. So if they're not someone who is reflective of your natal environment, so the environment that you're designed to be in and thrive in, or if they're not a reflection of your determination, It's going to be really hard to digest them. And I've often heard stories about people who maybe were living in their parents' home or with a partner and they had really bad digestion issues, constipation, et cetera, et cetera. As soon as they broke up with that partner, left that home, their digestion cleared up. Mm -hmm. And they can pinpoint it back to being in the opposite or the transference of their determination. So let's say you are a taste eater, which on the binary is either your open taste or closed Mm -hmm. taste. And you are in transference. So you're eating in a loud place or a low place. That could really affect you because closed taste people are supposed to be very selective, Mm -hmm. picky. They're picky eaters. Let's this say is my you daughter. have a child. <laughs> this is okay. My, and she is. And she's very selective. And she's got a lot of food sensitivities. And I just get it. It's yes. so helpful to have for me to have this human design, very rough human design knowledge. I'm like, oh, of course you do. This is okay. This is just who yes. you are. Yeah. Yes. I love that you know that because food is the number one conditioning agent on our planet. Yes. Because oh, we yes. are tribal beings and 
imagine you don't eat what the tribe. You don't eat what the tribe eats. Mm. You are an outcast. Mm. Or you make requests that, you know, somehow create friction points within the tribe. You are an outcast. I, too, have close taste, and I'm so blessed that my parents, they didn't know human design, and they still don't know it, but they just respected that I was a very picky eater. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in food. Like I said, it's I'm picky with requests I get. I'm picky with emails. I'm picky with people. I'm picky Mm -hmm. with clothing, the fabric on my skin. I'm picky with what's in my environment. And, you know, I recently changed the word from picky to selective because that's actually what taste is. Taste is designed to be selective. Mm. And they're selecting for the health of the tribe. Imagine when we were all hunters and gatherers. The two is the one that goes out and hunts and gathers the berries because something in their system tells them that berry is poisonous and that one is good to eat. Yeah, (laughs) it's just so Juniper, my little one, because she's such an observer and she's Mm -hmm. a very selective person. She's even with the people, she will choose not to go to certain birthday parties and things because she knows it will overwhelm her system. Exactly. And she's eight and it's kind of amazing to see that she has that knowledge, right? We all do. I know. The kids really, I mean, that's what human design is for. It's for the kids and it's for the parents raising the kids so that they don't condition them even more. And both of my kids, from the moment that they were born, I knew their determination was just expressing itself. It was nothing that I had to do. Mm -hmm. But now as a parent, I'm protecting their Mm -hmm. determination from the rest of the world. Yeah. And respecting it. Yes, exactly. It's so fascinating to me because, you know, my work is really about my mission, I suppose, is helping people find their sovereignty around food. And that's really, that means getting out of all of this conditioning. Because like you said, I Mm -hmm. absolutely believe that we are the most conditioned around food as opposed to anything else. But I'm a light eater. I'm an indirect light eater. And I've always loved to eat. I can't sleep if I'm hungry. I cannot. I have to have something in my stomach. (laughs) And how many people in my life, doctors, parents, you name it, have told me it is not right. It's not right to eat before you go to bed. And then I found this modality and I'm like, my body always knew and I never trusted my body. Like, why? Mm -hmm. Like how I had such compassion and and a lot of sadness for myself because I went for years putting that responsibility on somebody else and putting that trust Mm. in somebody else instead of finding that for myself. Yeah. I mean, that's really profound. I'm so happy that you found that information because a lot of times our sicknesses are very Mm. connected to the fact that we are so far away from what our body is screaming, how it wants to be fed and which environments it wants to be in. And we use the mind, again, the personality, the software, the ego overrides the hardware. Mm. And then we don't get to make the decision with authority, with sovereignty, like you mentioned, with direct authority over our lives. And that's what awareness really gives us, is sovereignty and authority over our lives so that we're not swayed this way or that way from propaganda. My sister is also an indirect eater, and I just... Remember, you know, my parents always telling her, like, kitchen's closed, can't eat. We're not going to eat on a full belly. You know, that's how you can get sick. And I believed that. Uh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you can't eat after 8 p.m. <laughs> You're going to get sick. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the years later, I, you know, years ago, I should say, 
I ran her chart and I was like, I'm so sorry that our parents did that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Eat all you want. And it's so funny because I would force myself to eat when I woke up and I would and then I I was like, oh, "Oh, I I have to have breakfast right when I wake up. But I really I I can't I can't eat until mid morning. I can drink beverages and liquids and things, but I feel like sick if I eat first thing in the morning. And I made myself do it because breakfast was so important. Like this information we get is just, it can really take us out of ourselves. It really can. I mean, it's propaganda at best. You know, like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Don't skip breakfast. But if you have a right facing arrow in your determination, so the top red arrow, if it's facing right, you're designed to fast. Mm. Your brain actually feeds on the spaciousness of food coming into it. I noticed that if I have a lot of work that I need to do for the day, mm-hmm. I will prolong eating until the end of the day because as soon as I put food into my body, it's mm-hmm. like rest, shut down. Like my brain is not on. It just completely shuts down. Whereas my husband and both of my kids they wake up at 6 a.m. The first thing they do is brush their teeth because they want to eat. <laughs> like, that's why they brush their teeth. <laughs> like, that's what my kids do. Can I brush my teeth? Now I'm hungry. I'm like, what? How can you be hungry at 6 a.m.? <laughs> and I don't eat till like 3 p.m. Mm. I'm the only right-facing determination in my household. So we'll go out to brunch or breakfast and I'll just get a tea and they'll all be eating. And maybe later on, I'll order something, you know, to be delivered or I'll get something at the restaurant to go. But I cannot eat when they eat. I just mm. always feel sick. Mm. And it's so important to know that because let's say you're left facing and you are doing intermittent fasting. Please don't do that. Mm. Like your brain needs food. You will not be able to function. You'll have brain fog. You won't be able to respond if you are a sacral being to the life around you if you're a left-facing being doing intermittent fasting. Fascinating. Hi there. I just wanted to pop in really quickly and let you know that an easy way that you can support this work is to sign up for the Mind, Body, Spirit, Food newsletter. In the weekly newsletter, you'll get brand new recipes each week along with my thoughts, ideas, and practical tips for how to bring more ease and joy and freedom into the kitchen. The newsletter is free, although if you become a paid subscriber for just a couple bucks a month, you'll have access to the full recipe archive along with Q&As, weekly threads, and other fun perks. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You can share the newsletter with your friends or even give a gift subscription. I've popped a link into the show notes where you can sign up. Thank you all for listening. And now back to the show. Let's get back to this thing you mentioned about illness in our bodies, Mm, because I have gone through the past three months. My spiritual teacher likes to call it a healing crisis, which I love because she just doesn't want me to attach to it, to anything. And it was a profound experience and it absolutely shifted a lot in my life. And I don't want this to trigger anybody It Mm. wasn't easy, but for me, for this particular experience, it was a deep state of transformation. And kind of want to get back to that. I know that you've experienced some of this yourself. How do you describe that? And can Mm. we just kind of like dive into this? 
Absolutely. I mean, <sighs> I'm going to bring it back to the software because I think it's mm. so easy to understand it in that way. We are all like little MacBooks, you know, and when we have those viruses within our hardware, our apps and things are slow to run. You know, you get the spinning wheel of death and it's just going on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what's happening inside of our bodies. Our bodies are so intelligent. We have this thing called cognition. And the cognition is like a super sense. It's a signal that is sent out, kind of like a watchtower. And it really is only sent out and working when we have nourished our brain and nourished our body in the right environment with the right food slash requirements for our eating. Mm -hmm. We get turned on. A cognition gets turned on within us and it allows us to be more filtering, mm. to distill our experience better for the apps, the personality side, the software side to run in its most optimum way. And sickness is a signal that there is something off within our hardware. Mm -hmm. And so it really forces us to go and get to the root of it. And all sickness, if it's not through injury, malnutrition, it's through something emotional. It's emotional mm -hmm. because we are emotional beings. We are energy in motion before we are formed. And it shows up in form as the very last step to get our attention. Mm -hmm. We know. We know when something's off. Mm -hmm. We can catch a vibe. We can walk into a place and, ooh, something is off. Or having this conversation with this person doesn't really feel good to me. We bypass it. We bypass. We keep bypassing, bypassing, bypassing. Yeah. And it's just moving through layers of density to get to our physical density form and say, hey, Remember all those times you bypassed that energetic nudge that I was trying to give you? Well, now I need you to deal with it in form. And I've been studying German New Medicine, and it really goes in depth around the emotional connection of our illnesses. And it actually makes a really huge leap in stating that our symptoms, which in modern medicine, we kind of use as a gateway to treat the mm -hmm. illness, that our symptoms are actually a result of the body trying to heal from a conflict, from mm. an emotional conflict. Mm. So our symptoms are the final phase of healing. The thing with that is that the current paradigm of health that we live under has us really frightened about the symptoms that we experience. Mm. And so we move into an attack position as opposed to more of a feminine approach to allow what the emotionality and the shame and guilt, let's say it's a self-devaluation conflict. So when we have things with our skin, let's say you have chronic eczema, which I did for a long time until mm. I started studying German New Medicine. I thought it was from sugar. I went to almost every doctor on the island. I live in Bali. She said, you can't eat sugar. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. Da, 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 a long list. And even when I didn't eat sugar, I still had it. So mm. I was like, okay, 
I'm not eating any of the things that are on this list. And I'm still having these eczema flare-ups. And I just got so sick and tired. I was like, please, let me just find emotional root cause to eczema. And I went down this spiral researching and I found German New Medicine. And because my eczema was localized, like on a very specific part of my body, on my elbows, it told me that I was having a separation conflict. I was moving through a separation conflict, both with my mother slash child side and my partner slash colleague's child side. So right and left mean something different, depending mm. on if you're right-handed or left-handed. And I read that and I just cried because mm. it was so true. Mm. It was so true. Like there was parts of me being a mother that I was not acknowledging that I really wanted to be separated from my kids. Yeah. I was feeling overwhelmed. Yes. And I just couldn't acknowledge it in my, I mean, acknowledging that it's like saying, oh, I don't love my kids or I want them to be taken away or no, it's not no. any of those things. It's no. that you literally don't feel like you have enough time for yourself. Yeah. So your body will tell you, let's create a thicker skin barrier mm. and you can call it eczema if you want to. Mm -hmm. But that thicker skin barrier is trying to create space between you and your children because it. It happened on my elbow on my left side. And the elbow is trying to get elbow room. Literally, I'm trying to get elbow room from my kids. And it just completely transformed the way that I look at illness and sickness. Mm. It's really hard, you know, at first because we are so conditioned. And that's not to write off the beautiful things that modern medicine has done and created for us. But Modern medicine, simultaneously with modern science, just doesn't take into account the multidimensionality of who we are. And that can be really detrimental to our healing process. Mm. Gosh, there's so much there that I would love to unpack. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) I could talk to you for days about this. There's something here that like, it's almost like this curiosity that is Mm. coming up for me in that you were so curious about this illness. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us go into attack mode and we do this with diet culture as well. We kind of go into this fix-it mode. I will do this Mm -hmm. diet. I will do this cleanse. I will take this protocol. And as I've gotten older, I find that if I can just soften and explore then the road to recovery is so much gentler. It's not necessarily easier, I don't think, but it's a lot gentler and it's a lot more, it's a lot deeper. It's a lot, I feel like there's a deeper healing there. Absolutely. Have you always had that curiosity? I have. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because that's in my chart, in my human Uh, design chart. I love it. So (laughs) when we get to the other side, you know, when we're not talking about determination and environment, we're talking about these other two variables, like the arrows that's called our perspective or view, how we view the world, and then our motivation, what motivates us. Mm. And how I view the world is through personal curiosity personal Mm. uncertainty when I'm uncertain about something I'm like "Mm." it triggers a curiosity that's like how can I get to the bottom of this I'm fear motivation so actually fear motivates me I don't know enough I don't have enough information let me dig deeper let me Mm. find more let me find more 
And then my sacral will tell me, "Mm, I'm satisfied with the amount of information I have now. And then maybe I can go and share it with others. And so it's a four arrow thing, you know, one, two, three, four. And that's how we are best nourished. So when we know that we're going through transformations, they're called variable transformations. We transform our, our environment, our eating, our perspective and our motivation. And then we can become an outer authority for others. We can become a counselor, an advice giver, a wisdom bearer, a messenger. We can't do any of that stuff until we've deconditioned those four arrows. So Mm. it's so interesting to me, the current kind of climate of coaching or counseling or advising. That's why we had our elders, because Mm. they had taken a lifetime to decondition. Right. (laughs) And then they could be an outer authority, a mirror, so to speak, for us. Mm. But because we live in such a capitalistic environment and structure, you know, I think that we are pushed out of the nest before it's time. Mm. And it's something I was talking to my husband about the other day. I said, do you think that the spirituality wellness industry exists because we have decided to forfeit how we take care of our wisdom bears and our wisdom carriers, you know, like yeah. now the spiritual healers have to fend for themselves. Yeah. They have to make businesses. Yeah. They have to join the workforce. They have we don't have kind of a tribal contract that says, okay, you have these healing capabilities. You study under this mentor and we will take care of you. We will feed you. We will clothe you. We will, you know, X, Y, and Z so that when any one of our society members are sick, We can send them to you free of charge because we are taking care of you. Mm. We don't have that anymore. No. And so that really messes with our outward expression as healers, as facilitators, as space holders. We are having to hold space before we've even held space for ourselves or Mm. we've even been shown how to hold space for ourselves, which creates an out of whack cycle of constant conditioning. Mm. You know, and we're always going to be conditioned, but we want to be conditioned by health. Yeah. We want to be conditioned by awareness. We want to be conditioned by even the mistakes of others. But they're saying, oh, that was a mistake. I'm sorry. I didn't. I actually don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm happy yeah. to connect you with someone else. We want to be conditioned by those things. And so that curiosity, I think, obviously has always been with me. It's a software that's running within my hardware. Mm. And it can only further express itself in a very graceful, inclusive way when I am being selective. Yeah. With my eating goes back to that. And when I'm in my environment shores. So when I'm speaking to people who take me beyond what this world is about, Mm. the depth, the vastness, Mm. the void. So I will only say yes to interviews or, you know, meeting with people that are my shores because people Mm. are our environments. And so let's say I was speaking with someone who presented as a caves, someone that's like, let's follow the dogma and the rules and let's not move beyond what's been told to us. I can't talk to the person like that. (laughs) Not that I can't respect their views or, you know, be in communion with them, but they're not a shore for me. They're not allowing me to move beyond what's present in the moment. So I can't be curious. I can't ask questions, you know. And you have that authority, that sovereignty, and you can be selective, which is really what we all want for ourselves, isn't it? Yes. Yes. 
if somebody is listening to this podcast and they've never heard of human design and their interest mm. is like percolating, where would you <laughs> send them? <laughs> We actually make a human design soul map that tells you about your Oh, you're still doing the soul. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I'll include a link to those. <laughs> definitely. The, so, yes, yes we're, the soul map. She makes it very easy yes, for you. Yes, yes. And it gives you just the beginning quarters of like, okay, this is what I need to think about when I'm eating. If you want to kind of d- dive deeper, let's say you already know your determination, you already know your environment, you can go to Jovian Archive and download the audio explanations of things. My friend Vanessa Henry also teaches a lot of variable things on her Instagram. So you can follow her there. And she gives like very practical day-to-day advice, like how to set up a cave's bedroom, how to set up a shore's office, Mm -hmm. you know, things that we can start to bring into our day-to-day life. Because awareness of these things are absolutely useless if we cannot bring them into our day-to-day existence. They serve no purpose except for intellectualizing existence, which we can only do so much of, you know, (laughs) before we get tired. (laughs) But if we don't see it show up in our everyday life, we kind of just write it off. You know, so the fact that you can see it with your child and say, oh, she's just selective. Yeah. So if someone else is getting triggered or offended by the fact that she doesn't want to eat their food, it's all energetic. It's not personal. Yeah. Please don't take it personally. You know, she just is a very selective person. And we can soothe each other in that way because Mm. we don't know if that person that was cooking maybe grew up with a father that was like, you can't cook. You shouldn't try to be a chef. Mm. And so they meet this child that knows themselves to a certain extent and says, no, thank you. And then that continues the conditioning and storyline that the chef is now carrying. Yeah. So we're so interconnected. We need to be aware for communal care. Self-awareness feeds communal care, even Mm. if we're not aware of it. Mm. I need to sit with that one. That's big. Yeah. Especially when we can start to communicate it. And things like, you know, these philosophies like human design give us some verbiage to express Mm -hmm. that uniqueness that we all carry. Exactly. Exactly. And think about, you know, as we raise our kids and we give them the freedom in that way, they will expect that same freedom when they leave the house. So no one can tell them what Mm -hmm. to do. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really what we want. (laughs) That's exactly what we want. It is. We want them to speak their mind. We we want them to stand up Mm -hmm. for themselves. We want them to say no thank you as a full sentence and I'm not explaining why. We want that instilled in them. And so we try to tell them with words, hey, stand up for yourself. You know, don't let anyone take advantage of you. No, show them. Mm -hmm. Show them. Show them that it's a possibility for it to happen. Don't try to explain to them. They don't have a lot of vocabulary. They don't have a lot of words, you know. (laughs) They can only learn by, you know, if my daughter says, last night I was putting her to sleep and I was listening to a Ram Dass meditation and I turned it off and she's high sound. And she said, can you please put that man back on? He's helping me fall asleep. And so she was eating. Like that's what Mm. she wanted to to nourish herself with Mm. before she went to bed. And she's high sound. So it just, you know, we we just see it every day. And it it honestly just makes me feel so grateful to to have this knowledge so that I can better support my kids and the people around me. Mm. Thank you so much. 
I have one more question for you, but before we hop to it, can you please let people know where they can find you? Yes. So you can find me on my personal Instagram page. It's Jazz Nena and also at Air Society, which is our communal space where we talk about all these things for an everyday lived experience. I'm sure you'll share all the other links and da 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 da. (laughs) I will. I will. All right. My last question is another question that I ask all of my guests, and it's a fun one. It is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Last meal on earth. I don't think I've ever been asked this question. (laughs) Okay. Let me think. Let me think. I don't know exactly what it would be, but I would need to first have savory experience followed by sweet, or they can be mixed together. Like right now I'm thinking of my mom's bitter leaf soup. Mm. So I would eat that first. Mm. And then I think for, I'm not really like a sweet toothy person. I need a little bit of salt with my sweet. So maybe something like a cake, but that's not too sweet cake with a nice cream cheese frosting Mm. and like a fruit on the side. Mm -hmm. Something very fresh. (laughs) As a second line, like I need it to be fresh, not super dense, not super sweet. Yeah. (laughs) But something in that world. Oh, that would be super satisfying. I love you. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) This has been such an inspiration, such a joy and so much to, I feel like there's so much to chew on. And I know that's Mm. such a bad pun, but I really feel like so much to digest (laughs) after this conversation. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a joy. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food, And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore. And as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.